Hey, y'all, welcome to The Road You Leave Behind, our podcast here on Outsider. I'm your host, Marty Smith. This is episode three, and damn, is it a good one. I get to spend time with a buddy of mine for about a decade, Kip Moore. All of you guys know him as a multi-platinum artist. What I wonder is, where in the world is radio on this guy's latest work? The album's called Wild World. He originally released it back in late May, but now he has a deluxe version out that just came out February 12th. He added four new tracks, including How High. It's awesome. There's a video for it on YouTube. You guys should go check it out. But that's not, this album is unbelievable. Paying Hard, unbelievable. South, unbelievable. South Paul, unbelievable. A lot of you guys know She's Mine. They did release that track off of the original version. It's fantastic, too. I could go on and on. Fire and Flame. These are unbelievable songs. You guys are going to hear Kip and I discuss that album, why it was important to him to put out this deluxe version with those four brand new tracks. We also get really deep in this conversation. Kip came to Nashville, and it took eight years to get a record deal. What's that do to a man? What the hell do you have to have inside you to wait that long for somebody to see it? I wondered. We also discussed what it's like to lose your parents too young. He lost his old man too young, and I lost both my parents too young. This is a really deep conversation that I think you guys are going to get a lot out of. So here you go. Without further ado, here's my conversation on The Road You Leave Behind with Kip Moore. You were an eight-year overnight success in this town. Mm-hmm. What does a man have to have within himself to come to work every day for eight years and maintain the passion when you get that many no's before somebody says yes? Craziness. That's what you got to have. <laughs> Lunatic. You, I, I say that joking, but you got you to gotta have... You do have to have a little bit of crazy in you. You gotta have a resilient backbone. Um, I have uh, never been good with the word no. Um, And for me, you know, I talk to a lot of people around town that if say they come up to me in a restaurant or wherever and they're kind of like, man, you know, I love this record and I've moved here to write music and you know, I've got this job, you know, just, you know, so I can write a little bit, you know, but this kind of like, you know, I've got this to fall back on or this. I never had a plan B. It was all or nothing. And that's a scary place to live because, you know, metaphorically for that and then realistically, even like at 29 years old, I'm living in a a tiny little garage apartment. I got nothing to show for the last nine years of my life as far as no, no, real job experience, the jobs I held were just to work odd hours to give me a chance to write through the day. You know, so I worked nights or I worked jobs to let me work on the weekend and I write all through the week and everything I did was just about getting by. I never was trying to make a pile of cash doing something besides music because I knew that music needed all my focus. So I sacrificed everything in that sense to perfect as good as I could perfect my craft. All of my waking hours when I wasn't working was going towards songwriting. So I had to have energy for that. So I couldn't be at a job 
nine to five every day, five days a week and give energy to that. So I would pick up whatever I could, these odd jobs, and then I'd write through the week. Um, but you have to have almost a delusional faith in yourself. You know, you have to believe in yourself at all costs when nobody else is, because believe me, nobody did there for a while. You know, it was, people like to say it later on, oh, you know, the whole time, you know, but, um, you know, until Brett James really got behind me, I didn't, you know, it was just, it was just every day I needed to find some kind of nugget to keep my feet moving forward. I wanted to quit a million times. Then I ask, how close yeah. did you come to quit? So many times. So many times I came close to packing it up and I tell myself, you know, something would keep me in it for another day, another day, another day. And, uh, you know, before I looked up, you know, it was nine years into the making and getting a record deal. That's a long road, man. Ooh. I guess making it in this town is a subjective defini yeah. definition, right? <laughs> yeah, like, for sure. It's a subjective definition. What's your definition of making it? I don't ever feel like I, I truly never feel like I'm gonna feel like I made it. I, I don't have that kind of thing in me. Are those nine years why? Yeah, I just, I feel like I'm gonna always be swimming against the current. Um, I have moments of happiness for sure, and I have moments of validation, and I have moments of, of just pure joy. Um, I remember playing a show in, in Belfast, and we were gonna tackle a venue that we had heard historically when we decided to do it, that a lot of different country acts had tried to come into that city and play that place and you couldn't get it a third full. And I just believed in what we were doing over there. And it, you know, it, it sold out in a heartbeat. When we got there, we'd never played it. To this day, I've never felt that kind of electricity in a, in a crowd before we even walked out. We could feel it in the dressing room. It's like, this is going to be nuts. And I can remember even throwing the whole band for a loop when I when I wrote Bittersweet Company, one of my favorite songs I've ever written. Um, I always wanted to open a show with that song, but it never. It's either you open it or you close it. it that song, <laughs> this when you learn how to create a set, it just never seems to fit. Well, a year into that record being out, that's when we went over to Belfast, and and um, I will make audibles during a show you know, looking at the guys or on the mic, you know, we're gonna do this now or this and that, but I've never made an audible on the stage before the first song. I've done it behind the curtain, scratch wild ones, we're gonna go into crazy more time and everybody's kind of got a chance to get set. But we walked out and it was just thumping. And I knew, I was like, if I'm ever gonna do this, this is the time. And I looked at the guys and I'm yelling in the dark and I'm like, bittersweet, bittersweet. Um, on the one after the course, everybody kick in and everybody's kind of looking at you like, what do you say? I can kind of hear everybody. Now I'm even talking to Ben. I said, Ben, turn out all the lights, keep a spotlight on me. I'm just going to open this thing up acapella with my, no guitar, just acapella, the, the course. And I could tell everybody was frantic because I'd never done that. And I went in, uh, oh, I remember when we, and that's all I got in my mouth. And they took the rest of it. Oh, wow. They took the rest of it. Wow. And it was like this whisper throughout the crowd but it was beautiful. And then the band kicked in on that one and that whole place, man, it was just this jolt of lightning. And they sang that thing so loud. And it was in that moment, I've never had of, I made it, but I had that moment of, I am right 
where I'm supposed to be right now in my life. Everything that I have done, I have never felt more centered in my path and that my path had a purpose. And this is exactly where I was supposed to be in this exact moment. I'm pumping my fist at Patty over there. Yeah. We say that to each other every day. <laughs> you know, the, one of the last times you and I had an opportunity to chat uh, away from our professional lives, just as buddies, you were discussing purpose. Mm -hmm. Trying to nail down exactly what that is. <sighs> Where are you in that quest? Well, um, purpose for me is such an elusive road. Um, I feel like there's times when I'm on the road and then I fall off the road. Um, purpose for me is when my mind and my heart are in complete sync. Um, my heart is always, I can feel it directing me and I, my mind goes somewhere else. Um, and when I seem to get the two of those linked up, that's when I can tell that I'm doing what I'm meant to do in that moment. Um, but for me, I've just kind of always been that person where um, I need to have things in my life that, that feed my soul, charge me up, and that I feel like I'm doing something way beyond myself. Um, it sounds, I don't know, there's even times when I feel like there's gonna, there's gonna be something so pressing on me that I'll end up just walking away. It won't be like a, hey, yeah, it'll just be like whether I'm, you know, building water wells somewhere in some other country or I'm doing something with, you know, um, there's a lot of uh, child homelessness in Hawaii. There's these, a uh, lot of things going on in Costa Rica that people don't know about, Nicaragua. I could see myself just disappearing if I felt a certain calling to go do something. Um, and that's when my heart and my mind get linked up. But a lot of times I'll, I'll run from it a little bit, you know, so um, my mind will run from it. You know, I'll be like, okay, I'm gonna do that, you know, then. But um, yeah, for me, it's when the two of those things get linked up, I always seem to feel that purpose part of me is filled up. What's the challenge for you of being where your feet are? <laughs> ah, because I'm always thinking about where they can run to. Um, I say it all the time, like, man, there's so many ways to live a life. And I have this burning desire to chomp up as much of it as I can. Yeah. Um, and I'm always, I get very restless and I get very, uh, you know, in my head about, you know, you could pick anything, anywhere, you could do all these things. You can turn your life on a dime to do different things, you know, and um, so the, the hardest part for me is keeping my feet right here is I'm always thinking about putting them somewhere else. Fade the sky, fade the tan, floorboard still full of sand, summer heat's dropping, closing up shopping, lonely boardwalk, empty rides, ghost of the lovers wave goodbye, the carnival's crying. Birds are flying south. There's a line in South that I want to read you real quick. Okay. I wrote that with the band and sound check. That's why I do that's why I do sound checks. You wrote it with the band and sound check. Sound check. 
What's that story? And that's another thing for me is I love, those guys are so talented. Not you know, I, I love the fact that those guys are on the records. It's not just me and other writers, you know, like I'll, I've pushed them to write these tunes with me and they're great. You know, they're, they're, they all have things that they're really good at. You know, we wrote Sweet Virginia in a dressing room in Scotland at two in the morning, me and Manny <laughs> and Wiggs, you know, and so that was a beautiful thing. They're kind of all over this record, so. My life's a credit card, play now, pay later, and I'm paying hard. Well, I've heard it said that moments come and then they pass. And this show passed me by when I should have sold my dad. But I plugged it into another town, so another chance would come around again. I love this. Yeah. I've heard it said that moments come and then they pass. Okay. They sure passed me by when I should have saw my dad. Mm -hmm. But I plugged it into another town, swore another chance would come around again. Yeah, that's paying hard. Um, I love that song yeah. because I lived that song. Yeah, paying hard. I get asked a lot, are all your songs personal? Um, the answer is yes and no. Um, I draw from experiences and what I'm feeling in that moment, and I take sprinkles of truth, and then I just craft. Mm -hmm. um, Paying Hard was one of those tunes that was a very direct, personal piece of honesty that fell out onto a piece of paper. Um, wrote that with um, Weston Davis. Blair Daly and Weston has been one of those people in my corner for a long time that has always been able to read me, to know where I'm at. He could see that I wasn't in a good place the day that I came into the room. Um, I've been struggling with a lot of those thoughts that ended up folding onto that paper that day. And um, Weston and I have always just had such a, uh, such a beautiful writing relationship. Um, and he could read me that day and you know he immediately dove into where my head was at right away and i started kind of riffing on that melody right away and i was kind of spitting little fragments of the lyric and this and that and, and uh weston quickly spat out that first line um uh, you know the very first two lines of the song and we were just off to the races um and that was a that was um, one of those days for me that was, I couldn't even sing the work tape because it was sitting so heavy with me. Um, the regrets, you know, a lot of people say, I don't have any regrets. I sure do. Me too, Bubba. And I don't, I, I, I'm not one of, you know, I, I think that things shape you and they line you up, but that doesn't mean that I don't have any regrets along the way, you know, and, I, and there's all the time when, it was very, very early in my career, my dad never got to see what happened with it, but he was a big, Fanny call me and say, I got a line, I got I got a song title, you know, and he and we'd laugh. I'd be like, Yeah, that's 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 booty, man. I'm I'd hang up, you know. And, but it, he was uh he's the one that turned me on the music really. My mom was an incredible player, but my dad had such a love for Jackson Brown and Springsteen. And so I attribute so much of where I'm at now because of him, because I looked up to him and I listened to those records and it shaped me. So um and there's different relationships in my life that that I know that I neglected that they deserve so much more out of me um, but I was really struggling heavy with my dad th that morning and it was 
nine years after he passed, you know, but I was just early in my career and I didn't feel like I could cancel these shows and get home to him. I knew he was dying, but I just kind of, so it was always uh, something that's been in the, in the back of my mind and I never tried to force a song out. You know, there'd be times sometimes I'd sit down and I'd try to write and it felt contrived, so I'd pull it right back. And that moment, that day, it just all fell out. And I, I couldn't even get through the vocal. I had to keep stepping away from the mic because I kept breaking down. Um, yeah, well, the heaviest song I've ever written. My greatest regret is that when my mother was sick, I was a senior in college, and I didn't go home and see her more. Mm -hmm. 30 miles away, man. All I had to do was get in the truck and go, and they'd say, no, don't come home. You don't need to come home. Yeah. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. Live your life. Sounds like my dad. And I was so damn selfish mm -hmm. that I listened to them. And I regret that every single day. Yeah. So when I hear, when I, you know, I remember when that song, the first time I heard that song, I remember it vividly because I heard that line. I plug it into another town because that was me. Oh, I'm fine. Yeah. I'll just keep going. Did the same thing with my dad. And it just kills me. It kills me that I have that on me. And I'm never going to yeah. lose that never on gonna, me. Never going away. No, never going anywhere. Mm -mm. What's the value in vulnerability when you write? I'm always trying to understand who I am. I'm a lot more guarded in real life than I am in my songs. Mm. A lot of times I feel like I'm subconsciously almost writing about the person I hope to be sometimes in music. Um, you know. Who do you want to be? I'm still trying to figure that out, man. You know? And uh Me too. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, but I think that by me doing that, it releases these pieces of me that get really harbored up and I get stuck. And it, it's 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 my way to channel it out and to try to make the best I can to try to make peace with it. And even though I'm never gonna completely forgive myself the day that I wrote that, I made somewhat peace with it. I'm not over it and I still regret it, but I was able to turn the page a little bit with it with a little more peace. And each time I do that, it helps me. What role did sports play in your, <sighs> in your career, in your path? You know, this goes back to what we're talking about in the truck, you know, I can't really say it right now, but just someone that I'm working with for the first time that's a very brutally honest, um, pushes you to your breaking point, always trying to pull the best out of you and not always the most gentle way. Um, <laughs> and I've seen it firsthand already kind of break certain people down. And I understand it. You can get in your head really fast. Um, but I think that I have always been able to take the hits and keep going. Um, I don't get in my feelings too much. If somebody's telling me that I'm singing like a dog right now, like I need to step it up, you know, and, and my phrasing is sounding too stiff and, you know, like I, I can, um, I don't take it personal. Um, I can, and, and even from the resiliency of, you know, 
the ups and downs through sports and what it teaches you. You know, I think that that had a big part with me just keeping my head down when I got here and just pushing and pushing and pushing until I knew I was gonna get through that wall at some point. I just had to stay in the fight. And I think that so much of that goes back to sports. And I think even the leadership aspect of it, you know, always being the point guard, having to orchestrate a whole team. Now I had to learn to not be so harsh as I was when I was a player. You know, I had to learn kind of a different strategy in that sense and learning my team and my guys because at times I could just be a little too tough and I demanded too much. And I had to also learn that not everybody is gonna hold themselves to the same standard. And I've had to learn that, like, you might not react to something the same way that I do and that's okay, let's talk about it. Instead of me just getting really mad that you didn't react how I reacted. If I mess up a chord in the show, if I miss a note, I'm furious. And I'm be damned if I'm gonna mess it up the next night. <laughs> so when I don't feel like somebody, you know, is handling that the same way, I can get really agitated. Um, but I've had to learn how to approach that from a different angle sometimes. What kind of game did you have? I was very inside out. I was not a um, posting dudes up. I don't know what I mean is I was very I was very much a slasher. Okay. But I'd keep you on your heels and then I'd step, I'd, you know, pop back and, and shoot jump shots and threes. And, but I was definitely not just a spot up shooter. I love to slash and, and facilitate and create and find passing angles. And um, yeah, so I mean, that was, that was mainly my game. And then that always freed me up on the three point line. At what point did you decide I'm going to put down this basketball and this golf club and I'm going to walk into this mellow mushroom? When, like, I, when I realized that I wasn't going to get taller than 5'10", <laughs> I realized it was time, it was yep. time to put it up. It's the same damn thing that you happened know, to me, man. Yeah. When I realized the growth spurt was over, man, it's not happening. No, I, you know, I joke, but I, I did, uh, I, I started playing guitar very late. Um, I just turned 18 and, it was, you know, starting college and, and I got a little, uh, got a little old Yamaha beat up pawn shop guitar. And man, the minute I got that thing, and I'd been wanting to play for a long time, but my brother was a good guitar player. I looked up to him. My mom played piano. She taught piano lessons in the house and my sisters were musical. And I had a amazing household, like my brothers and sisters, they're incredible. Um, but it was also like a very, uh, you, you could get made fun of real fast in my <laughs> house growing up. And it kind of made you kind of scared to try stuff sometimes, at least in that setting. Um, so for me, it was like, as much as I wanted to learn that guitar, I didn't want to be bad in front of them. So the minute I got to school, it was like, it just became, I became obsessed with it. And everything started to slowly take a back seat to that once I started playing. And then I started writing around 19, 20. And by the time I went down to Valdosta State, you know, at, at 20 years old, that was, I was, I started playing the bars every Thursday through Saturday. What's the first song you learned to play? Remember? The Weight by the band. Oh, I love, everybody loves that song. Yeah. If you don't love that song, you well, should that's move with The first one I learned to play, I was like, I could get a party going with this thing right that here. That is a great yeah, song. Yeah, it's a great song. Great song. So you That one and then Willin' by Little Feet. Ooh. Yeah. I've been kicked by the wind, right by the sleet. Had my head stove in, but I'm still on my feet and I'm still. Don't, 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 don't. I looked up to my uncle, Uncle Steve. I thought he was so cool. My uncle Steve and Janice, I would go to their house and before I really got into music, I remember him playing the song Willin' and I was like, what is that? 
and they played it for me on the record player and then I was just like mind explosion you know when did you start playing your own stuff I tried to play it in college I was trying to get the band to How'd that go work on? up some of the new stuff and they were like Kip nobody wants to hear your songs they want to hear <laughs> Skinner they want to hear Hank they do not want to hear your stuff yeah I remember that conversation very specifically what was the what was the battle like in your mind to come here to Nashville how did you decide you know to do what that? I, when I think back on that I was so just I, I've, I've always had a fearless nature. And I remember I was just like, I'm going to go do it. And it was kind of like not much thought put into it. This is what I'm going to go do. It wasn't until I got here and I'd been here for about four or five months. I was like, what in the hell have I done? <laughs> Why? Because you just, when you really sink your teeth into this town and you see how good people are. And I thought I was at the level I needed to be. And then I quickly realized I'm not even close. I'm not even close. So it was that realization of what am I going to do? You know, and I even had that moment then. I, know I might need to pack this thing back on up and head back to, you know, town. But man, I, I, it was like I locked myself in a room when I, whenever I had time, I just practiced and practiced my guitar playing, listening to records. I worked on my craft. I knew I had a knack for melody and lyric. I just had to really learn how to piece it all together. Um, and now it just it just free flows so fast. But I had to I had to chip at that craft for years and years. And you know, even like just getting back from Maui, I've never written songs like that. Like I've never, you know, just it just every morning. It's just a natural thing that just comes out and it comes out so quick. What's the impact of being out in nature on your creativity? It's everything for me. I think about, I wrote most of, most of Slow Heart was spawned from my walk from 6 a.m. in the morning in Costa Rica. I stayed at my, my buddy's Pete's and I stayed in this little bungalow room and I, I, I walked to the beach every morning before the sun comes up. Barefooted through the path, you hear all the nature's waking up, you know, hippy dippy, whatever you want to call it. I'm more connected. I'm just so much more connected. And I've never cared about the BS. I truly never, I do not care um, about what I think doesn't matter. Um, and in those moments, I'm just, uh, my spirit's alive and I'm awake, I'm clear headed. And all of these things that I've been thinking and trying to process throughout a year, but I can't ever quite tap into because there's so much noise everywhere. I wake up on a tour bus, there's noise on the bus, the bus is rattling, people honking at the streets, there's ambulance. I can't get focused. And then the minute I get out there on that walk, it just starts pouring out. And it's just, I can't, I can't keep it in, it's coming out so fast. So then it's like the minute I get back from that walk, I check the surf, and I'm singing it over and over in my head. I'm getting these lyrics and I'm getting it. And the minute I get back, I go to my notepad. I start putting everything down. And I try not to spend a crazy amount of time with it when I'm there. I try to, I get it down real quick. I don't spend too much time laboring with it. I surf, I come back at lunch. I work on a little bit more. I surf, come back and I just nibble throughout the time while I'm there. Um, 
And then when I get back here is when I take the time to labor with the lyric, make sure I got everything the way I want it and I get everything set. But I get the blueprint completely done for all these songs for the most part when I'm out there, whether it's by myself, like with this new project, I wrote so much by myself and with the other ones, so much of the time, like with the Janie Blue, it almost all fell out in one take. And then it was like, I sent the, the bulk of the song to Dan Couch. And I'm like, what do you think? And then he fired back a few lyrics that he would put right here. And, and we kind of start working on it together. Weston so many times, like with a song like Southpaw, I just spit that so damn good. melody out so damn good. right away. And I'm singing bits and fragments of those lyrics. I've got the whole melody there and then I shot it to him. And he shot me back that whole first verse right away. You know, he, he just, he gets me and it was like, bam, that's where we got to go with this. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's the way I've kind of done that a lot of times, but I, I, I start getting it out while I'm there. How often do you consider the magnitude of what a song might mean to someone? I used to not think about that. And now, um, I still say what I want to say, but I'm much more aware of the magnitude of what I'm saying. Um, I've seen it and heard it. There's been so many stories throughout my career where people come up and I remember having a guy tell me, stop me one night in the street. I can't remember what city I was in, but he had seen me play somewhere else. And he said, you know, I, you know, you kept right. I said, yeah. And we start talking and He's, you know, it was a heavy moment. It was a heavy conversation. And he said that the Wild Ones record, he said he had it on repeat. And especially um, that was us. Complicated, complicated meant so much to him for his relationship. She was back home and he was in Iraq. And he was telling me, this was like, you know, around a time when it was a little hairy over there. And he was telling me that he can remember hiding out in this bunker one day and there was stuff going off all around him and he was thought, thought that was it. Like this is, you know, this might be my day. But that record and that song specifically gave him complete peace in that moment. And that's, I, I, I can't even like, yeah, it's when I hear those kind of things that I can't wrap my head around that I'm that guy that's providing that for somebody. When I've had those, you know, I remember listening to These Days by Jackson Brown and feeling the lowest point in my adult life and hearing that, and that song gave me comfort in my vulnerability of feeling that way. Um, and it's just wild that, you know, that every now and then now you're providing that for somebody. And it's a, it's a you know, it's a, it's something to wear with responsibility, I feel like. So um, I don't feel like it's altered my writing, but it's made me more aware of it where I might think a little longer, harder about something that I'm planning on saying or something that I want to say. Might be time to put that in your thought process about what your purpose is. Yeah. It's a pretty damn nice yeah. purpose. Yeah. That that kind of that kind of impact on somebody mm -hmm. being that kind of vehicle for whatever emotion they feel like needs to be carried. Mm -hmm. That's a hell of a that's a hell of a purpose. And I try to remind myself of that when I get that way, where I get that way of feeling like I'm not doing enough and I want to just bounce from it all and go figure out what I need to go do. I try to remind myself of that. What should we know about this deluxe record? 
You know, for me, a lot of it was, number one, I've done this one other time before where I like to pull songs from that missed the that missed the record. I recorded these songs for Wild World and for whatever reason, you know, there's different reasons of why I didn't feel like these songs made it. But um, I finally get a chance to have a song like A Man's Gotta Do Be Heard. I wrote that thing 10 years ago and it's always been so special to me and I just, I feel like there's people that need to hear it. There's certain people that's gonna really hit home with. Um, so it's given me a chance to give these songs life. Um, so for me, it was also a way to draw attention back to that record that kind of, it was off like a rocket. And then a lot of things happened in our world in late May, early June that kind of, you know, that. Everybody kind of did this right here. So, um, and that's where everybody needed to go, maybe. You know, everybody maybe needed to focus on this, and this is my kind of way of like now, some time has passed, little dust has settled, and this is like a, a bridge between what's coming, and it's a way to kind of draw that attention back to the Wild World record and, and let people know that we're about to go tour around this thing, you know? It's a really interesting perspective though. Like you don't think about, man, you, you got this thing that's really doing well. And then a global pandemic hits. Yeah. That hell nobody expected yeah. and can't prepare a, a, for. A, a global, what did it do? A what global did it do? pandemic mixed with um, an awakening of a country around issues that have been buried under the surface for a long time. Um, there was a visual happens that is unlike anything we've ever seen. And so everything was like a suction to that for four months or so, four days in the release of the record, you know? So with, you know, so it was, it was a pandemic. It was, you know, a, a, yeah, a revelation of, of issues needed, needing to be addressed that had been kicked under the rug for a long time. What do you believe it did to the record? Well, I think that, I think it's, it's, it's simply, you know, it's one of those things where attention was shifted. And I think that it's one of those things where not being able to get out and play it, I think that was the main nail in the coffin where we couldn't, I had no way of getting your attention on it, you know, and I'm, I'm not somebody to do a whole lot of social media, period. So <laughs> there was no way to, when I think about concerts that I've been to, I think about at times I'll walk into a room and I might not be very familiar with the band and then I leave and I'm downloading everything they got, you know? So for me, not being able to play shows around the release of that record was super detrimental. So. I'm just kind of bringing people's attention back, you know, because I know we're going to get out and do some shows this summer and this fall and um, just try to hold you over until something's coming. Yeah. I met the hunger and it took my head Kind of lost in wonder of a sinful land 
took the drink, I liked the taste, I burned the smoke, I sparked the blaze that left me wanting. Last thing, and I will leave you be. All right, we've had this amazing day full of conversation here. And the one thing I know about you is that you don't pander, you don't get, garner your self-worth from the things that so many people do. Mm -hmm. So explain to me, what is your ethos? Wow. Man. What gives you the most fulfillment? Yeah. Because um, you surf in Hawaii. You go rock climb all over I God's say, green earth. Yeah. You, I mean, you do all of these, these amazing, unique things, and you're buoying someone who's fighting for our freedom in a foreign land with bullets whizzing over his head. Yeah. Okay, that's a, dude, that, that's a lot going on here, okay? Yeah. You know, whew. I have always been, um, we talked about this in the truck. I've always had a faith about me um, that I tend to, it's always there deep rooted somewhere, but I have a tendency to walk away. I go wander through the forest and I come back and then I'm back out onto the ocean and I'm kind of like in and out and I'm, um, when I'm very connected in that and I'm listening and that's when I'm kind of tapping back into purpose and I'm kind of doing these things that where my heart and my mind are very connected. Um, that's when I find the most fulfillment um, on a surface level, but not on a surface level. Um, there's nothing that does what surfing does for me, nothing. Why? I, what, I does, done, what does it do for you? What, what is because it? Because I feel like we all have joyful moments as adults. I'm not saying that we don't have moments of happiness. You and I, we're going to go get dinner tonight. We're going to have moments of happiness. We're going to have some laughs and we're going to drink some wine. It's going to be good times. But I feel like there's a certain piece of all of us that once you get past, I don't know what the age is, but your 13, 14 year old range, that that, that purest form of that innocent childlike joy, like that pure form of that, that you really tap into just without even thinking about it at that age, just everything is joyful. Um, I've done, you know, rock climbing, it's dangerous, it's an adrenaline rush, it's, it's amazing, you know, and the, all the other sports and stuff and kayaking down a class four river, class five river, like those things are all great. Um, but there is a thing that happens with surfing and it goes back to when I was telling you about that shark and you said, well, how would you do that? And do you think about that with the sharks in the water? I said, you know, I can remember three or three years ago, I'm still new to the surfing game and I'm still like really, I'm such a student when I go and I'm, I'm a, I, I can watch and I can mimic and I'm always trying to figure out the movements and understand where to be. And there's so much that goes to it with it, but I can remember getting on this really big set that was pretty much the wave of the day at this, this really epic break in Maui and I can remember sunset and I'm by myself out there and I, I catch this thing and then I'm riding it from the point to the cave. It's a really long ride, but I'm present the whole time on that ride, I'm completely present. I can feel all my movements and 
what I tapped into in that moment when I rode off the back of that wave is that childlike spirit that you can't, you can try and try to grab a hold of it. You can't, you, you can't quite grab it. And I have that every time I go out. But in that moment, I was aware of it and why I do it and why I risk because the sharks are definitely in the back of my mind. It's still a rare thing, but they're there. It's, it's, that's in the back of my head. They're around you, you know? But for me to get the chance to tap into that, what is the, what's the, what is more powerful than that? What is more of a reason to live than that? So. You have a tattoo on the inside of your bicep there. Yeah. Why? Uh, when I first moved to Nashville, it was the first tattoo I got. Uh, when I first moved to Nashville, there was a very specific that was during that time when I realized I was in over my head. And uh, every night that I got home, I'd read this one line of scripture that just stuck with me. And it was Psalm 40, verse one and two. And I would just read it. And that was my, that was my, my, my safe harbor every night. And when I talked about little nuggets in front of you, keeping your feet moving, well, that, that verse kept me in the game for four or five months. So I'll always be grateful for it because I was close to turning that key and, and heading back down south. But I can remember that every night, that thing, that verse, it just, it recharged my battery just enough, gave me just enough hang on and uh, yeah, it just always kind of stuck with me. And then years later, it was my first tattoo. What's it say? It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Um, he inclined to me, he studied my steps, set my feet above the myriad clay on the solid ground. Mm. Yeah. When you're out on the grind, what's the challenge of ensuring that you're maintaining your mental health? Man. And what has to happen to maintain it? <laughs> Sleep is the is <laughs> like if you don't. I, I learned that early in my career. Like it, it was damn near the death of me. I went through the most extreme case of insomnia that you can imagine. And with that, to get to that place, I realized that it was all a mental battle. Um, I have such. I remember reading about Junior Seau. I remember I wept because they said he was an insomniac, and his son said he never could sleep, and he'd wake up and see his hands and his face and. I remember I just wept when I read that article because I've been there and I knew what a terrible place that is to be in. Nobody knew I could put on a mask every day, probably much like he did, but inside I was dying. Um, but I, I had to learn to, a lot of the reason for me getting there was I was trying to control everything. I was trying to navigate the ship, and control everything. And once I, once I took my hands off the wheel and I just trusted in, my abilities, the band's abilities, my team, my faith. Once I just kind of was like, I got to get out of the way and just let this thing go where it's going to go. That's when I began to sleep. That's when life started to change. That's when I began to, began to be a better leader, manage stuff better. You know, I was better at my job, better at writing. Like everything just kind of got better for me in that moment. Um, but a lot of that was letting go and every morning trying to find that space to, I, you know, I try to do this, you know, even like these breathing things in the morning mm -hmm. to sure. really help me get set 
and I'll kind of try to spend a little time to meditate. And uh, yeah, because I'm waking up in a different flow every day of my life. So that's like my chance to kind of get myself set before I start. Happiness, purpose, peace. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm going for. Fabulous. That's good, fellas. That's, that's a wrap. That was fabulous, dude. Good, man. Really damn good.